another extra special, extra wonderful, super spectacular Final Fantasy X-2, I almost said 12, episode. Oh, this has been a much, <laughs> much less happy podcast if that wasn't the case. Of Normandy FM. Yeah, look, Ken, I told you a long time ago that the the 10-2 X-2 mm-hmm. was just going to mess with me, and I did not see Final Fantasy twelve as being potential there. I, Eric mm-hmm. Van Allen, was very mm-hmm. wrong. Ken, yeah. are you... Are you excited to go back to Besaid? Always. Always have to go back there. It's less racist now. <laughs> it's just moderately less racist. <laughs> we have measurably decreased the amount that's <laughs> present in the village. If we're going back there, we're going back to Xanargan, and we're going back to Kilika. And joining us on this trip is the one, the only, Hana Kim. How are you doing today? Good. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to our to our show to Final Fantasy X-2. Hana, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I have played, I think, every Final Fantasy game at this point. Um, it's kind Damn. of been like a fixation of mine for like a long time. It was like either Final Fantasy or Pokemon was like what I was playing mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, I'm sure I've missed a few of them because there's just so goddamn many. But <laughs> I feel like I've played a good chunk of them, at least. Um, it's, like, my favorite thing ever. I've been diving back into Final Fantasy fourteen now that the queues are back down mm-hmm. to a manageable mm-hmm. amount of time. Yeah, I, so, Final Fantasy X-2 is obviously, like, I mean, I guess not obviously because I'm just here. But it's, like, my favorite one ever. Um, I think it's, it was the most formative for me. Wisdom! Um, <laughs> I think it was one of the first ones I actually like sat down and played and like understood mm. like what was going on, I think. Mm. As opposed to just like getting through the game, I guess. Absolutely. And and like what is it about Ten Two that appeals to you so much? Um, it was honestly it was just like the intro, like the most iconic intro of <laughs> all time. Mm-hmm. Um it, it just yeah, every like the aesthetic of it, just the way it like the message of the game and the morals of it where it's like kind of you're not kind of who everyone says you're supposed to be all the time like mm-hmm. you can kind of choose your own path in life even with like the gameplay mm-hmm. mechanics like you can literally choose where you go mm-hmm. differently than like what everyone else might do and i just think that's a lot of fun and i think that's a really cool message to like spread through your game mm-hmm. here here is an interesting question that i did not think we should do before uh i'm surprising ken with now oh, uh yeah no i love to do this but i thought for our guests this might be fun uh okay. hana do you have a favorite dress sphere Ooh. in this game uh the black mage one but i black mage is always my favorite period mm. Mm. so it's more like aesthetically i love all of them but like it's mm-hmm. just like i'm a little bit more biased to black mage just in general I feel like the Black Mage dress sphere gets a lot of really good looks in this game. Like, I, you know, I've been flopping uh, through them, uh, flopping, swapping around <laughs> through them. <laughs> yeah, no, just flopping on my face head first into every single dress sphere. <laughs> um, I, I've been flipping through them, and and uh, you know, some of the some of the looks that that our our YRP crew gets uh, through the different dress spheres are kind of like, oh, you know, here's. You know, Riku's got a sword now and stuff like that. You know, they're cool, but they don't look remarkably different in the way that the Black Mage ones do too. Like all the looks that that all three 
protagonist getting the black matrosphere looks really, really cool. And Riku's is my favorite, maybe just because I'm using her as my my black mage, but uh, mm. hers with like the witch hat and everything is fantastic. Yeah, I think Riku's dress here is just in general are usually my favorite. They're just like mm. the most like flashy, I guess. Mm-hmm. I generally actually, in the only time that I played this game, I actually don't generally have a black mage because I have typically kept just like pain on warrior and she has all the elemental attacks anyway. So like kind of, Mm. That was a flaw that I didn't have to take up with a different dress fear because she kind of was versatile in that way. I mean, we're we're probably going to talk about it as we get into this uh, this episode, but it, this is another week where I found it funny how many things from recent Final Fantasy games I was noticing were present in Ten Two, like mm. the idea of instead of Black Mage being your one character that kind of triggers elemental weaknesses. Uh, the idea of giving a character an item that then changes the element of their attack. So now standard, you know, attacks uh, or, you know, physical attack abilities can do elemental damage as well. Uh, something that became super prevalent in like Final Fantasy VII Remake, where you could put the materia on somebody's uh, equipment and have them do elemental damage with their attacks. Like it's, it's weird and cool seeing how this game has a lot of different, elements that both draw on past Final Fantasies and then also kind of set the stage for future Final Fantasies mm. as well. Uh, they're really experimenting in this space. But before we get there, we do have one question we always ask every guest on the 10 episodes of of Normandy FM. How do you pronounce the name of the protagonist of Final Fantasy X? Oh, so you don't want me to hear how you pronounce it. I get it. Okay. Mm. Um, oh, yo, I phrased this very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually kind of weird because when I was growing up, I played, because I grew up in Korea, um, and so a lot of the games that I was playing, they were like the Japanese versions with like Korean mm-hmm. subtitles. Mm. So mm. originally it was Titus, and then mm. I started playing Kingdom Hearts a lot more, and then they say Titus a bunch. Like, except for Waka, I think, in Kingdom Hearts 1, says Titus. But everyone else says Titus. And so now Titus is stuck in my head. So I can't choose. It just depends on my mood that day, I guess. But generally, I guess it's Titus at this point. Mm, Okay. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts did a weird thing where, like, I think it was specifically Kingdom Hearts 2, where they changed the name for some reason. Yeah. And then I think in in any future, I don't necessarily remember when Titus was shown up again. But I think any time other than that, one game they went back to see this and then broadly like throughout like you know, all the spinoffs and anytime that his name actually said it's been Titus but like yeah that was like a confusing thing that Kingdom Hearts 2 specifically did and then it's like it's like you've been consistent up to this point what are you doing yeah it like drilled it into my head and in the Japanese one his name is Tita so like Titus makes sense and but like Wild. Titus also makes mm-hmm. sense I guess with like the themes mm-hmm. of like tide mm-hmm. and water and stuff I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter. I grew up saying Titus, but now I say Titus because my brain's broken. <laughs> Final answer. I think the way we settle this is we come up with a new pronunciation and just to really throw a wrench in the whole thing. You know, that way we split. You know, now the sides will be united in hate of the new name. So, uh, Tadeus, mm. I'm happy to announce today. It's <laughs> the new way to pronounce the name of the protagonist. <laughs> It just sounds like a, the Kung Fu Panda sound. <laughs> to deuce. Uh, <laughs> well, 
I'm going to deduce where this podcast got wrong later, <laughs> but for now, uh, we're going to head off to Besaid because uh, we talked about this before, uh, but I feel like I need to reiterate it because this is just going to be a weird season. You know, everybody strap in. It's it's going to get bumpy at points, but we kind of split each chapter into different parts. And specifically with chapter one, uh, we're doing all of the hot spots today. So all of the critical missions. And that first takes us to Besaid, that lovely place where Yuna uh, could call home. Didn't exactly grow up there, but did uh, become a summoner there, become uh, the person that she was when we met her in Final Fantasy X. And now she's finally going back after just kind of leaving <laughs> intent or not ten two and um what was it eternal calm yeah. yeah i almost called it before the calm and i was like that's not right <laughs> life is strange <laughs> life is strange before the calm um so we're heading back to besaid uh and you know obviously reflects on this that this is the first time she's been back since she left for the gold wings and She's nervous. It's you know, it's going home. It's going to your hometown. You know, I'm sure we can all After relate you left to that. Work. Yeah, you know, as maybe some of us have done before. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, you can relate to that nervousness a little bit. Um, but I feel like it quickly goes by the wayside when Waka shows up and kind of jokingly scolds us and all that. Um, the the Waka again. Uh, Waka in this game is is a strange character. It's a very weird character, though the way they end up like positioning him in this game because he's kind of the like he's you know having to assume a lot more responsibility all of a sudden. You know they make a big deal about the fact that oh he's going to be a dad because I guess Lulu and he got together in the was it been two years mm-hmm. uh, since the end of Final Fantasy X. Uh and, you know, Lulu has to be shacked up and, and having a kid and all that. And, and Waka's... What is Waka doing? I don't know what Waka's doing, Well, he's, that's what he's trying to figure out at this point. He's like, oh, I gotta be a dad, but, like, what does that mean to the rest of my life? And that's, that part is fine to me. Like, I'd, I don't really know what other direction there was to take that character by the end of... I mean, was, now I'm starting to, like, think of all these, like, extrapolate to other things, like... What if instead of, be, like, his growth into Nexium was something like, some kind of, like, ambassador with the Albed, like, like exchanging cultures and stuff, but mm-hmm. then they kind of, I guess that, that's, like, maybe a bridge too far in terms of <laughs> uh, <laughs> character development. Well, now that Walk is slightly less racist, we'll send him to uh, be a cultural ambassador. That can't go wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, there's something about, you know, I, I felt it in eternal calm when you know waka was for some reason being like kind of the secretary for yuna which i think didn't really make sense for the type of character that he is and his relationship to yuna and all that like that would make more sense for lulu to be in that role i think and (laughs) i think throughout this whole thing i sit here and i'm like it would make more sense for lulu to be in this role and then once we actually get in and start talking to lulu and all that uh it it does feel a bit more like what I expected from this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Who are we talking about again? Lou. I, 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 I don't remember this person's name because she's rearing a child. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. Oh, uh, I mean, that. <laughs> that is the, um, 
the elephant. They pull a bait and switch in this game, Ken. Like, Hana, I don't know if you if you remember this very specific part, but there's a... Um, Waka keeps mentioning that the baby's due any day now. It could happen any moment. And there, you walk into the hut where Lulu is to go say hi to her. And she's kind of sitting down, so you can't really, like, see her figure very well. And Yuna or Riku, I can't remember who it was, is like, oh, my God, you know, when's the baby due? And then Lulu stands up, and it's, you know, still her model from Final Fantasy X. It is not, you know, physically changed in any way. And she's like, not as soon as Waka thinks. And I was <laughs> sitting there, and I was like, are you serious? <laughs> like, that's that's the gag we went with today? <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. It's there's something about returning to Besaid, and maybe this does speak to the returning to a hometown. But um, it is that moment of oh, things have not really changed here, mm. and honestly, these characters have almost borderline stagnated where they are because Waka is still kind of the same character, just even more rudderless because now he doesn't have pilgrimage to focus him in a place now he's just a dude hanging out on an island and Mm -hmm. lulu is also kind of just not really up to anything other than like preparing to have child so hana what did you think of of like coming back to besaid and and seeing this place again after especially after the events of 10 i think it was kind of like what you were saying it's like i mean it's kind of like coming back home like for the holidays in college or whatever, especially mm-hmm. if you don't come home like super often during the semester or whatever. And it's like, you feel like you're growing and you're changing, but then you come back home and you see like the same dude who's been managing the Sonic down the street for like the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, right. so like nothing has changed. Like aesthetically things might change and like little things might change, but like basically everyone who's still there is just the same person. And it's right. like, you feel like you're growing, but then they point out that like, you're not that different, even if you look a little different or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's a weird feeling. Um, And like replaying it now as someone who's like finished college and stuff like that, it's like, it's harder to uh, see that part without like thinking about myself a little bit more, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, Oh, you go, go ahead, Ken. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna kind of like almost change the subject. Yeah, I was too. <laughs> okay. Well, so I was gonna say like I um the interesting thing about it, at least to me, the beyond all the things y'all are saying about like how there is like this weird stagnation within Bethesda, and it does kind of seem evocative of like you know Bethesda is kind of this very like sectored off, isolated area. So like it had, it's like almost like an allegory to like a, a small town in America and how we talk about them. Um, but it was at least, like, there was something kind of refreshing to me about coming back here and, like, the sort of conflicts that are happening are so small. And that these characters are, like, thinking more inward about things that are happening as opposed to it being, you know, this huge thing, like, sin we were facing in the first game. And I think that's kind of broadly the sense you get from a lot of the, you know, returning characters and, like, going to, like, visit all these other people as you're going on these adventures all around Spirit. It's to, like, just come back and be like, no, things can still be as small as they are here in Bethsaida. And people are, you know, focusing in on how the new world affects them specifically instead of having to get too hung up on the bigger picture, which I think is what Yuna and friends get kind of dragged into as the game goes mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it ends up feeling kind of weird because, you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but this does, like, this Bethsaida story does eventually 
plunge back into the like broader story at large you know it does mm. eventually like big you know pivot away from this kind of very sentimental um almost like bitter sweet return home right. uh and and go right into like oh there's there's treasure to be found and it's not that i don't like that it's just that i almost wanted the reflection stuff to tie in a little bit more and maybe it does as as the game goes on and we have more besaid moments but uh, it it is interesting that you know we even get the setup where you know Yuna mentions that she's looking for interesting spheres and they're talking about interesting spheres and um, uh, Waka reflects on you know uh, his his own parents and uh, whether he has any spheres of them and he just kind of like wanders off at some point. But the the part here where we get to stop and talk to Lulu and really spend some time talking to her and just like basically just Yuna and Lulu like catching mm-hmm. up on what's been going on. And uh, the bit where Lulu kind of mentions that, Oh, you know, I'm not there so you can spread your wings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was kind of like, is that them just saying, here's why it's pain and not right. Lulu in this game. Because that was my immediate thought when she said that too, that that justification that they gave like in interviews, it was like, if Lulu were there, Yuna would look to her for guidance and everything. And that lets her, you know, be more independent in the game. If mm-hmm. she doesn't have this person that she, not even necessarily that she looks to as like a crutch, but just like there's this obligation to this like older sister almost to mm-hmm. like seek her approval, seek her advice. Yeah. Especially since yeah. she's supposed to be like kind of the leader of the group in a way, since she's like the main character that you mm-hmm. play as, it would be right. weird to have her like, constantly asking another person in the team be like oh do you right. think this is cool like, you think this is right. a good mm-hmm. thing to do yeah what game would ever have you just follow the actual hero of the story around the entire game fallout 3 <laughs> <laughs> i'm having flashbacks <laughs> but uh it's i i do like that i like that justification i like that that thought that Yuna needs to be able to lead on her own and especially the idea that like Riku is is someone that she is you know able to go on this journey with but she would have relied a bit on Lulu I think that's interesting um and yeah you know Lulu gives some good really good advice actually Uh, you know at first she's like you don't forget who you are and it sounds very typical like oh you know be a good person make good choices and all that but then lulu's like no you're you're the freaking high summoner that killed sin like you there's going to be people that try to take advantage of you don't let them Mm. (laughs) ends up being very prescient knowledge (laughs) that lulu doles out here um which is kind of a bummer because you know then we get plunged back into it we have an option where we can stay the night at besaid um, which I thought was was sweet, you know, this idea that they go mm. back and they, you know, again, it's that idea that, that Hana mentioned of going home and, and, you know, coming back from college and, you know, you stay the night in your hometown and all that. It, I don't know, it just gave me a lot of those warm fuzzies from, mm. from back then. Um, and then you wake up and, and Waka's missing and you got to go find a cave and you do a bunch of video game stuff. <laughs> to find said cave um 
and and we're kind of back into it we're back into the video game and out of the somber coming home story and i feel that's going to be at least at least in this section kind of the repeating theme is here's one half of it that kind of really addresses you know what has happened since 10 and what's new in 10 2 and how these characters change and how they not and then oh, by the way, this is a video game and we need to find spheres, so you better go complete this video game objective and find spheres. Uh Find all the numbers scattered around the island so you can punch them into a cave door that just exists in this area now. Uh, It's it's weird. I don't know. Um, And also we get hollered at by brother again, and I just keep getting reminded of how weird that relationship is. Yep. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have better words for yeah. it. <laughs> that sums it up. Yeah. Um. Anyways, we after we run around all of Bisade, and by the way, jumping on things, which kind of lets you go into areas that were previously inaccessible uh, mm-hmm. in Ten, which I think is just another cool way that they reuse a lot of these assets. Yeah. And uh, you know, here's this thing like you know Bisade still kind of looks the way it did when you were there in 10, but now it's got some added verticality to it, some added mm-hmm. movement around it. Uh, and I like that. Yeah. But we go in the cave and walk is just like chilling, sitting on the ground, hanging out <laughs> in his locked cave as one does. Uh, and we ask what's up and he's like, Oh, you know, I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know if it's legit or not. You know, maybe it's here an old sphere of something and so we decide to do our sphere hunter job and fight a big old dragon and get said sphere um and i i also this is maybe the point where it's worth bringing up that at this point as i'd played this game so much and i know we played this section at different points ken but i was like power leveled for this so this was the easiest fight Mm. in the world this was easier than some of the normal enemies i'd been fighting so far i guess that's something we're gonna keep running into just like the timeline of when you and I do different things means that some things might not be as hard for you mm-hmm. as they were for me and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, at like the end of this, we do get that, uh, fucking, yeah, some, some dragon thing. And I try, like I tried to switch up my, my tactics. I switched, you know, over to songs just to like do status, status effects. And that was kind of for a bit. My go-to strategy with most bosses was like, if I, if they were vulnerable to these things that would switch you on them, to, you know, keep that going while Riku and Pain dealt damage, but, um, yeah, he had, like, he has, like, this flame breath attack that they, they do this interesting thing that, which was not, like, a thing in Tin one because, like, placement of characters on the field wasn't really a thing, where, like, it hits a certain amount of the, the battlefield, but if, like, mm-hmm. a is like, off to the side just enough, they might not get hit by it, which is interesting in premise, but, like, you're not controlling a lot of these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not, like, you know, in the most literal sense. So, in some ways, like, you kind of learn to use certain attacks in a way where you know the timing will line up just right to where you might avoid something by, like, running in to do an attack mm. where so your character will be out of the way for something. And mm-hmm. um, that's, just, like, an interesting thing which they kind of play with in, in further fights that will go on that where a lot of characters have, like, area effect attacks that are not necessarily going to hit everybody, but they will hit a very specific spot on the field and probably do a lot of damage within that. But there will be, like, a chance that it's not going to hit everybody. 
you know what it reminds me of and and ken i don't think you've played this but hana you might you might have uh yakuza like a dragon has yeah. a similar sort of thing i was gonna where... say like the atv system is really similar yeah mm. yeah uh in fact if you like go into the settings of ten two and swap it to like i think there's a wait mode where once a bar is filled up you know it, everyone pauses and you get to pick your action or whatever um if you play it that way, it's basically the same battle system as Yakuza Like a Dragon. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it has the same problem of there are area of effect attacks and your characters kind of move around in a 3D space, but you have no actual way of determining where anyone stands or like picking where anyone stands. And so you just kind of have to hope <laughs> that mm. people are in the best place they could be at any given time. Yeah. Uh, and it's... I don't like that in in RPGs. I think if you're going to make positional stuff right. a thing, then you need to have some level of control that the player can exert over it that's not just random chance. So Yeah. yeah. I mean, Especially it, like it, with Yakuza. Okay. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Go um like in Yakuza, like you can like run into shit. Like if you're trying to do an mm-hmm. attack, you can like trip over someone's bike and it's like I didn't walk mm-hmm. here, so why am I tripping over it? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so glad that that's not really a thing in this game. At least, right. at least it's just the attacks, for mm-hmm. the most part. It does add like this other dimension of strategy to something because, like, if you, certain dress spheres, most of their uh, move is stationary, like the gunner. Like, if, mm-hmm. I, if I have you know on that, she's not moving a lot. Um, the song is the same way, and that does at least play into okay, again, like some of the strategy, and, like some of the timing of the attacks that I do. If I have a character who can move, and I want them to be moving at a certain point attacking when I know they would be best suited to actually, like, move out of the way of something. It's just mm-hmm. kind of, like, this extra layer that doesn't really, like, tutorialize or anything. It's just kind of something that you learn as you go on. Mm-hmm. Well, we beat up the dragon, and we get the white mage dress sphere, which I'm going to say right now, out of the early dress spheres we're getting here, and, I mean, really, we're kind of getting, like, the full set pretty early on, I feel like. Once we finish chapter one, unless I'm forgetting anything, we're going to have most of the major dress spheres. Um, uh, I mean, you get the more, like, kind of bog-standard jobs that you expect yeah. from, like, a Final Fantasy, where, like, the things that you get further on are, like, kind of, like, riffing on different concepts in different ways, which are interesting. Right. But right. here, you're, you're, like, you're getting, like, the baseline things that you yeah. need to get through the game easily, or at least, like, in a way that it's, like, you have something for different situations. You want to have your tools, you yeah. know? And... White Mage, I think, is a really, really cool twist on the healer archetype because, uh, you know, most of our classes in this game have some sort of no MP cost move, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think the only one I can think of that doesn't is Black Mage. Like, you all, your only options as Black Mage are to cast spells, mm-hmm. right? And uh, with White Mage, though, you have Prey, which right. is... Again, a, a reference to Yuna's ability in 10, which is a free no mana cost heal that's pretty low. Um, it, you know, it's not going to be as good as a cure or a cura or something like that, but it heals everyone in the party and it's pretty low uh, ATB cost. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can use it repeatedly and not run into any issues. And. I ended up really liking White Mage in, yep. in this game so far. It's a cool concept i think to have this character that can kind of be topping everyone off and then when you need like a big dedicated heal uh you have that option as well Mm -hmm. and you have to kind of make interesting choices because of that 
Yeah. Uh, it, and, does, it does a thing where, like, you can split the use of, like, cure onto the whole party. Mm-hmm, and, you know, mm-hmm. they'll do less healing to everyone individually, but it will just be, like, a, a team-wide heal that you can have. And just, like, mm-hmm. you know, giving... It, it's one of the, the dress fears that really kind of sells to me how important time as, like, a... Like, actions per minute, almost. Yeah. Like, how, how often are you acting and doing things in a battle? Yeah, and especially like giving them prey is basically like the auto attack equivalent of mm-hmm. anything else that you do here like you basically like giving some, that character something to do constantly even if you're not having to mm-hmm. yes. have like a major team-wide healing and so like you don't necessarily it's not always like time-wise good to switch off to something because you don't have something to do with the white mage. Right. and so this is just something it's almost like a filler move that just like you always have and that you always can just throw out there if you don't have anything to actually do as a white mage that turn what it reminds me of that I think Hana is going to strongly relate to, uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm putting my chips down on it, <laughs> is Final Fantasy fourteen. Uh, you have your big moves, you know, the the ones you save up for, the the global cooldowns and such. But then you kinda have your basic rotation that you're kinda always throwing out. Yeah, you know, you're it's kind of mindlessly to just be... doing the main rotation exactly you have the base rotation that is kind of this percussive drum beat underneath what you are doing you know while the guitar is off soloing and getting into the big moments and the singer is singing you know the drum is just keeping the beat in the background it's just always going and prey is the single player version like this battle systems version of that where You know, you don't want to swap. You're not going to, like, change up your strategy. But at this moment, nothing major is needed. You know, you got a little bit of a cooldown for some of your other classes. And, you know, that a tank buster or something might be on the way. So you just hang out doing your rhythm. And then when something big happens, you're freed up to respond to it because your cooldowns are ready. So that it because I'm playing Final Fantasy XIV right now as well, I was thinking a lot about that when I was using this class was, like, this is an interesting way to think about the cadence of what you do in a game and also making you make interesting choices because you do have that moment of, should I swap to a different dress sphere to be maximizing what my character is doing? Or do I stay on white mage because I know that there might be a big attack coming down? Uh, Mm. It's cool. Interesting decision-making doubly uh, doubled up with the way that the garment grids operate. So now Swapping might not just mean moving to a different dress sphere, but now being in a position on your garment grid where, okay, maybe I'm passing through a gate, so I'm getting a bonus that's helpful. But then is it going to be difficult to navigate back to my white mage dress sphere? Because it's going to take two ATB rotations to get back. Like that's, I think all of that is just very interesting clever gameplay that really melds together well like i can't believe that they built all this on top of what was once a turn-based battle system Mm -hmm. you know it it feels so different and yeah it feels like purpose built almost and it's like crazy to think Mm -hmm. that it's built on top of something else right yeah yeah it's it's something completely different and feels like two different systems that started two different places and that's fun. That's exciting. It's a thing that I've found as I play more and more that I really like about this game is that even though it is built on the bones of another game, it almost goes out of its way to not be that game as often as it can be. You know, 
Remember this old place you've been to before? Well, now you can jump all over it. Remember that old turn-based battle system? Now you are like constantly moving and attacking and things are happening all the time. Like it's it's really cool. I like this game. <laughs> it turns out <laughs> um we get our white mage dress sphere and we take it back to Waka. We take a look at the sphere to see if it is, you know, the sphere he thought it might be. All it is is a sphere that shows us where some treasure chests are hidden on Besaid. <laughs> um, which I think begs the question, who is filming treasure chests and not opening them? That's kind of weird. But uh, <laughs> we'll never come back to that. So don't put a pin in that. It's just a weird thought I had. <laughs> um, but it is not what we are looking for. Uh, Waka was looking for a sphere of his parents that Chapu had at one point found. Uh, he told him they found it when they were in a fight, but the fight was too heated uh, for him to ask about it again. And Chapu always played in that cave, so Waka figured maybe, maybe it's in there. Uh, we get kind of an interesting thing where, you know, Waka's going through... <laughs> I keep thinking of the scene from Fast Five where Paul Walker and Vin Diesel are talking about the fact that Paul Walker is about to become a parent. And you know, I've found a way to bring the fast and the furious movies into this podcast, <laughs> but you know, walk is having that crisis of conscience where he's, he's going, you know, he never really had parents and now he's going to have to be a parent. So what does he do? You know, how does he figure out who to be? And, you know, kind of builds him up and is like, you know, we're, we'll find the sphere. We'll figure something out. Uh, but we kind of have to leave it on that note. You know, there's, that's one of the other interesting things about this game is that these stories play out over time mm-hmm. and we don't have a resolution for Waka just yet. Nice. Uh, so good luck with that Waka. We're getting back on the ship because brother is the worst pilot in the world, but apparently the only pilot that is employable by the goal wings. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. We kind of just leave him like, say, sorry, we got our own shit going on later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the meme of yes yeah, sorry i'm not reading that good for you <laughs> or sorry i don't know <laughs> uh yeah we'll we'll head back and i guess we'll be back to visit waka at some point but we gotta head to the xanarkand ruins next which is maybe one of my favorite parts of the game so far if mm-hmm. i'm being honest uh this really gut punched me yeah. even knowing what was going to happen um we come back to Xanarkand and we have this moment where Yuna's kind of looking out over the ruins of Xanarkand and seeing all the fireflies and stuff and reflecting on uh, all these things that had happened in 10. And there's, there's a moment where she looks at the campfire and it's still blazing. And she's thinking about how that was the place where they all stopped. You know, the whole party stopped and talked about their journey, which not only reinforces the, you know, story framework of 10, which I like a lot, but uh, also is like, hey, this this moment that that was a little understated, but, you know, was still a major moment in these characters' lives uh, is still here. And then it kind of fades in that, oh, it's a tourist attraction now. Uh, there's like tourists everywhere in the Xanarkin ruins and they're all like gawking at it. And uh, there are people like gathered around the campfire. You can almost like hear them saying like, Oh, this is where the party stopped. This is so cool. And uh. it's, um, 
it, it, it's one of the most effective, I think, first, like, visits to any place in this game, because it is, like, you haven't reckoned with, like, okay, you know, to be in this new era of Sphera, you know, we get to do all these cool, fun, flashy things, like, be at a pop concert, and be Sphere Hunters, like, you know, going on all these new adventures, but you also are living in a world where all the, like, the shit that you had to go through to get to this point is kind of being commodified, and, mm-hmm. like, handed out to the public. So, like, every, you know, this place that we walked through in 10 was, you know, this this very, like, awful, like, you know, traumatic experience for us, but then, you know, people were just walking around on it like it's nothing, learning about it, and that's kind of, like, a broader thing that's happening in 10, too, is, like, I mean, we, we've talked about this in pre- previous episodes, but, like, how people want to learn about the world that they've lived in after having been sheltered and controlled by Yevon for so long, and I think, you know, there are all these you know, that's, that's fun for sphere hunters, but then you have to, like, actually sit and think about what that entails for all parts of the history that we tore down in the midst of the first game, and it does mean you get fucking randos and tourists that are, like, taking pictures of all the fucking shit that you were, you know, that had this very, very personal meaning to you, and mm-hmm. then you find out who did it, and it gets even worse. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we can address that now. Uh, like, this was Sid's idea that Sid decided to come in here and be like, yo, let's turn this place into a theme park. <laughs> like, mm. uh, like it's not even uh, like a museum. It's like straight up a theme park. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the worst of it happens later. Mm. The, like the, the real, the, the number two of the one, two gut punch comes later. But the one that we're about to run into is Yuna seeing Isaru up on the hill, you know, the one where Titus had stood and at the beginning of 10 and kind of looked out over the Xanarkin ruins. And Yuna has a moment of inner reflection where you know, Isaru's like, Hey, Yuna, how's it been? You know, it's, it's been forever. And you know, what's up and what's wrong. You look a little weird. And, and Yuna's like, Oh, it's nothing. And then she kind of like inner reflects. I never wanted anyone else to stand there, but him. Mm. And like, damn (laughs) that one really got me (laughs) um yeah yeah i I don't even know what else to say about that that's just like i i think not even just the you know calling back to final fantasy 10 i think it's an emotion of great significance Mm -hmm. that a lot of people can relate to that like i never wanted to see anyone else there but this person like that is that just hits you mm-hmm. if you've had that feeling before. So it really hit me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, Isaru is also here buying into the whole grift. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have larger thoughts on Isaru that we can touch on in a bit. Because, like, oh, I mean, we can, we can talk to now, I guess. It felt, like, twice as tragic to me that it was Isaru that was, like, in on this. Because, like, he is also a former summoner who is kind of, like, trying to find his place in the world in the midst of all of this, and, like, you know, he talks about how, like, you know, this is a place of significance, so people, like, have every right to be here, but also, like, you were not two years ago ready to journey to this place to die. Like, mm-hmm. that that was always just sad to me that, like, a summoner was in on this, or a next summoner or whatever, was in on this, and does some of the, like, hokiest, worst shit that we're oh, gonna deal God. with in the whole yeah. fucking section. Yeah. And as as we get to Kilika, 
we'll, you know, probably talk about this again about, you know, what is life for summoners after the events of Final Fantasy X, but uh, it's for Isaru, I feel is just almost sad. And I don't know if they intended to write it as sad because I feel like they try to give him a justification for why he's here and doing the things he's doing. But uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of a bummer at points. Hana, how did you feel about Isaru in this game? It kind of sucks. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> like, it kind of really sucks. <laughs> There, I feel the kind of the same way about like, I don't know, like, again, I'm going to talk about Korea, but like, there are these people on TikTok who just kind of like commodify Korean culture because there are people who are like mm-hmm. super into K-pop and stuff like that now. But like, mm-hmm. those were the same, these guys were like all the same ones that were like us, like when I moved to America and stuff like that, like we all got made fun of like for being different mm-hmm. and for being foreign. But now because it's like more accepted or whatever, they're just like, oh, fully, this is like my grift now. Like I'm going to commodify shit and sell it to like the just lowest common denominator of person because that's who's consuming it right now. And like it just mm-hmm. kind of sucks like thinking about it in like a real world context. But even just like for the character of Isaru, like super sucks. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, you kind of already explained my feelings on it, but yeah, it's like you were ready to die here and now you're just like here every day, kind of just like commodifying it, I guess. Yeah, with right. the, I can't find another word for it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's all okay, like between like the, the three summoners, Yuna, Donna, and Saru that were in the first game, he was the one that like basically was forced to stop his pilgrimage because like he lost and like we basically shamed him. Mm-hmm. And so that is like, it's, I don't know, it feels like kicking a guy down the stairs at this point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> in a way, in a way that like works, like, I, like we're, we're like, we're talking about how like this sucks for Isaru, but like, I also think like it's effective in what it's trying to communicate. And so I don't know what's so funny here. I, I thought of the grandma falls down the stairs TikTok, but it's Isaru. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Isaru falls down the stairs at the Xanarkin ruins. <laughs> oh i'm sorry that one tickled me that was good <laughs> um yeah no it's th- this this dude has been beaten down repeatedly and you know he was he was the jobber of the last game right you know he was the dude that stuck by the the church of yevon even was willing to fight yuna mm-hmm. uh and literally execute Yuna uh, on the the demands of the church and just gets his ass kicked. And then Oren walks up and is like, your pilgrimage is done. <laughs> and they just walk away as he's like, you know, basically bent over on the floor in humiliation. And uh, yeah, they don't even like, they don't even, this sounds bad, but they don't even like kill him. Like they don't mm-hmm. even, there's so many, no, just like kill villains, spirit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I do think it's significant when they when that happens to a character because, like, you know, we kill Seymour in that game. We kill a lot of people in that game, but Isaru, we just beat him up and leave him on the floor <laughs> and walk away. And and Isaru's got to live with that humiliation. And you know, it doesn't mean that he has the opportunity intend to now to be something different and be something else. And uh. Well, well, we'll get to that in a second. Let's get through some of the like 
between here and there parts real quick, which are honestly kind of nothing, but <laughs> we'll get there. Um, people are coming to the Xanarkin ruins, not just for tourist reasons, but because there's rumors of a sphere here. Um, and we see a bunch of kids running around talking about a key and the code is the key and all that. And, uh, we realize that one of these kids is Pache, who is, uh, Isaru's other brother. So now we have met all three of the brothers, uh, and they have formed a sphere hunting group called the Kindergardians, <laughs> which is adorable, if not very self-aware for a group of children <laughs> to call themselves. How old they're uh, supposed to be? Because like, uh, okay, because I mean, like, he, like I don't know, Pache yeah. was like a guardian in ten one. Like, I mean, presumably in... more than five years old, so like kindergarten. Yeah, Entitled, I assumed they maybe. were like twelve or something. -ish. Yeah. I mean, look, respect where it's due. The Kindergartens is a great name. It is, but it's also the sort of thing also, that you would German expect to hear them. In Whatever. I'm thinking too much about it. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we get to bring it back. <laughs> it's creme brulee all over again. <laughs> uh, according to the wiki, he is twelve and ten two. Oh shit! Awesome. He's twelve and so he's ten in Final Fantasy yeah. ten. Oh, there we go. Uh, yeah. It it sounds like the sort of the name that someone would like derogatorily nickname this group. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, oh, there goes the Kindergartians. And so when I first heard it, they were like, yeah, we're the Kindergartians. I I I was like, do they call themselves that so that other people don't call them that? Are they like owning the yeah, the, the dunk like that would have been dished out? Yeah. yeah, they're reclaiming we're, it. We're reclaiming kindergartians. <laughs> Damn, um, Pache. <laughs> it's we we follow them deeper and deeper into the cloister trials. Which, again, like the further in we go, it's this weird disconnect because this is still the Xanarkin ruins. Where, I mean, let's set aside the one hulking problem of this is where a lot of summoners you know, came for the final summoning and sacrificed their most beloved person to gain the final summoning and then gave their own lives to give a brief bit of calm. And also all of them had to come to grips with the fact that they were not actually going to kill, kill sin here that both they and their most beloved person in their life were going to die just to stop sin for a little bit. And that's about it. Um, you know, all of that is, horrifying and bad and and sucks let's put that aside and also look at this is where thousands of people died even further back in old xanarkins uh and there are literally spirits of the dead flying around and on top of that there are fiends still everywhere giant massive fiends uh that you can get into random battles with and then you head down into where the the cloister of trials is and this attendant down there is like Welcome to the Cloister of Trials. Mm. For a small fee, you can open a treasure chest here. It's like you're a real treasure hunter. And I'm like, oh my god, this is fucking bleak. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, so now yeah. we gotta confront the person who did it. Yeah, yeah. We, we <laughs> puzzle solve our way through the Cloister of Trials uh, and find Sid uh, where he's just hanging out where 
the faith used to be, you know, where mm-hmm. someone also gave their lives to become the the summon that would help defeat the badness in spirit. God, this is like layered shit. Like mm-hmm. so we confront Sid and uh we have a dialogue option here. Uh in if we're following the guide, we choose the right option. <laughs> Which is, uh, we can either be like, hey, Sid, you know, great thing you got going on here. Look at all this. Or you can be like, what the fuck are you doing, Sid? <laughs> uh, and watch as Riku just rips into him and, like, just dunks on him for all of this. And and Riku really hits him with it when uh, she's like, this is like if you went back and built a theme park on top of home, where home right. used to be. And, like that is the one that makes him go like, oh, maybe I've done a bad here. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those, like, credit where credit is due, he does, like, start to be reflective on this, but also it's kind of, like, one of those things where, like, you don't get it unless it's framed about, like, you specifically or, like, things that would have been equivalent to you. Like, you don't mm-hmm. stop and think before you do this about what it would mean to people who this place meant something to. Because um, I think, like, both Isaru and Sid are, like, doing this and coping in different ways with what they're doing and like why um mm-hmm. where Sid just kind of was like you know Sid's like one of the people that, that like hears about an NFT and hears that it's like you know this new thing that's coming like this oh, new idea no. that people have and doesn't like actually like take into account any of the other contexts or like look into it think about it any harder yeah it's that <laughs> meme with the grid and it's like knows what cryptocurrency is does not buy it yeah. but yeah. Sid is in, does not know but still buys it <laughs> <laughs> and and Isaru would... is nose and does buy it, I guess. I guess, yeah. Sid, look, Sid, you talk to him and you're like, why would you do this down there? He's like, look, you could hate or you could create, all right? <laughs> Jesus fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the man on top of the faith standing there <laughs> while the critic lambasts him. <laughs> uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, so uh yeah so we dunk on sid put a pin in that we'll see how that turns out later but uh we we keep on heading through the xanarkin ruins because we do have uh one more place after the faith that is uh crucial for us to go see uh and that is uh the the space platform of unalesca i really have no better way of describing it to be honest with you (laughs) um we we head on in there and it is this was the second gut punch for me was Yuna walking in here and being like this was it this was the place where we all discarded our old beliefs and our our stagnant faith and chose to take destiny into our own hands and it was like I was getting all those feelings of that original Unalesca fight all over again of Oren being like, this is it. The time is now. And mm. you know, the, the music kicking up and, Oh, still, still one of the best moments of that game. Still mm-hmm. just absolutely incredible. Um, and then as we venture in, we hear a voice speak to us from the beyond, <laughs> uh, asking us very, very theatrically, very, you know, circus ringleader esque, uh, what is the password? And Riku's like, oh, it's monkey. Because that was something that we've been learning up to this point is that 
there's a group there's also a group of leblancs like handymen around here that we've been fighting at this point but literally they just kind of show up so that they can mention at one point that they've heard the password is mon and then we beat all of them up and none of the actual leblanc people you know leblanc or her two you know right and left hand kind of show up it's just a bunch of goons so uh that's there you go we mentioned it (laughs) but you know they said mon and the kindergartians had heard about key and so Riku's like, it's monkey. Mm. <laughs> and, and he's like, well, damn, you've cracked my password. Well, what's the meaning of life? And you get this giant dialogue box mm. that has like 10 options on it. But one of them, you know, you can say a lot of different things or you can just say, is that you, Isaru? And yes, it's Isaru. Uh, it turns out that part of his job is to kind of give people who come down here, a feeling of a thrill, you know, their own little confrontation with Unaleska, uh, their own feeling of a journey and mm. excitement. And this is where they kind of give Isaru his justification for why he is doing all of this. Uh, where he says, you know, he never got to finish his pilgrimage. He failed. And mm. so... Yeah, you know, this was always the end goal, but he never made it here. Right. And so he started working here as a way of like fulfilling himself in that way to like complete yeah. his own personal pilgrimage. And I guess like there's something in there about like, oh, he's giving back to the people of Spira still mm. and he's you know being able to represent you know the life of the summoner and the potential sacrifice and all that and i'm almost i'm like almost there i'm almost i feel where they wanted me to be but i'm still just like the fact that it's a theme park is if he was like a museum curator right yeah yeah if he was like teaching people about the history or whatever you know if he was taking them around a tour and being like this is where Mm. summoners lost their lives and stuff like that and he was kind of like doing that sort of uh you know i forgot what the word is for someone who who walks around in a museum and like explains things there's like an actual word for it and i suddenly cannot remember it if you remember like, it like normandyfm at gmail.com <laughs> what was yeah, that ken I, like a tour guide yeah kind of but there's like a, a there's like an actual like fancy uh, yeah maybe curator? maybe yeah. curator i'm gonna mm-hmm. look it up while you talk ken i i did at least Something I felt like was kind of like broadly. I mean, okay, yes. What again? They were very misguided in what they're doing. I think it was at least a moment for me, both like as a player and also like as playing as Yuna to kind of like have to sit with like, yes, all of this was very important to me, but I don't own Spira. Like I don't own the strife of like having to live through sin all those years and having to go mm-hmm. on the pilgrimage. And Isaru again, like he's his heart's in the right place, but like it, what it did mean something to him to be here now and I uh, I guess you have to like make peace that somebody else is going to stand on that hill and that all the things that were very precious to us weren't strictly for us even as we were the people that were able mm-hmm. to break the cycle uh docent was the word I was looking for mm. would have never docent. never in my life guessed that yeah I would have gotten it's that a good one. word yeah, yeah, there you go. It's the name, like, for somebody who hangs out at a museum and is, like, super knowledgeable and, you Just know, hangs out. Have you ever... Not, it's not their job or anything. They just chill there. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vibe. I mean, so when I was when I was up in New York, uh, in like, I think what was it like September of last year, mm. um, I went to go tour one of the aircraft carriers they have there, and there were some veterans there that were like literally they would just come in and, and hang out for the day and answer any questions you had about life on an aircraft carrier and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that's totally a thing. Uh, so a docent is the term for that. Everybody's learned something here nowadays, but yeah, people just hung two, out at museums. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's kind of cool. It's also like, you know, if, if you're like a retired veteran and you, you, you want something to do for the day and help teach people, I think it's nice. Mm. But on like, I bring that up specifically because those people, uh, those, those, those nice folks I talked to in New York, uh, and, and taught me a lot of cool stuff, uh, are like knowledgeable of the situation, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, they can speak to, you know, both the, the real life, you know, experiences that they lived and, you know, answer technical questions you have and things like that. But in Isaru's case, it is that moment of, oh, he's standing there on the hill where Titus stood and he's not really, like, conscious of that fact, you know, that mm-hmm. that is, like, a significant place. And I would normally say that, you know, maybe it's Xanarkand is just a place like that because it's, uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily about Yuna specifically. It's about the summoners in general. But then the thing that I keep coming back to is that they keep the fire lit. They keep that, like, mm-hmm. campfire lit, um, and that's a very touristy thing to do, you know, it's like, oh, hey, come see the still mm. roaring campfire where Yuna and her party camped out before they ventured into the Xanarkin ruins and told each other tales of how they got here. And it's it is so further into the commercialized. Right. At, like, I almost wish there was a discussion of. You know, I think they do mention at one point that there are guided tours and all that, but I wish there had been a mention of like Gil changing hands at some place because like that is what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And it I think that's the gut punch for this. And also like what leaves Isaru on a sour note for me is that like, yeah, he's got good intentions, but really he's someone that never really managed to get over his humiliation in Bevel and now he's just here in Xanarkin trying to maybe not rekindle a feeling of what he had when he was a summoner and he was on this great journey, but maybe feel like he still has that direction in his life. So You're like a football player I don't know. from high school who never made yes. it pro. Mm. Yes. He he is the the quarterback that never left his hometown. Uh which is sad. It's sad for us to have Isaru on that note. Um I don't know. I don't we'll, know. We'll get back to him. Yeah. Anyways, uh, he, if we answer him correctly, he gives us like a reward for doing so. And he pieces out. He's got to get back his, uh, his lunch breaks over. He's got to get back to work. Uh, he, he takes off and we head down. This is the part that really messed with me. So we head down the stairs that are behind where Unaleska was in the original. And, if you remember in, in original 10, you go down those stairs and you just kind of pop back up on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this magic trick almost. 
except here we head down it and we find like these ruins back behind there and i could never yeah as i was playing this i was like is this implying that there is still some magic at work in 10 that there was just like something still going on that has since been unenchanted with the death of sin and all that or are they just being like well we gotta have a hallway with a sphere at the end of it so let's just stick one <laughs> back I, I think it's probably both yeah um and, and we fight the sanctuary keeper kind of who's I think hanging it's out the guardian here. beast in this, this, the, this the guardian Oh yeah, but I mean it's like the same and, yeah. kind of the same fight. Yeah, it's you know he does attacks and then he's got he can fire off an attack that is similar to photon wings, which is like the Damocles photon. Mm. Um, I weirdly enough was worried about it while I was fighting him, and I think I was so high level that I did enough damage to him that he didn't get it off before I killed him. So I just never had to deal with that. Mm. Um, it fucking team wiped me almost like. I, I even saved the clip of me, like, just barely finishing this fight because I was trying to... It's one of those things where, like, because of the, the fast-paced nature of the battle system, things can snowball very quick, and you can lose, like, the majority of your party and, like, not actually be able to progress in the pro- process of trying to mm-hmm. get people back up. And so finally, like, when I got to the point where, like, I had, like, pain at 100... Or, like, 11 HP and you and Riku were down, and I realized, like, yeah, that's probably a chance of me getting them back up. I started attacking his pain, and then not not realizing that he was like very close to death won the fight hmm. yeah, it was just one of the ones that was like hardest for me anytime mm-hmm. i played it i don't know why but yeah that damocles photon just like destroyed me every time yep it's a uh it's a tough early boss fight i mean i do think this game because of its structure ends up having a lot of fights that you have to tackle that can be just a little bit more than than what you would normally expect to have to deal with in an RPG. Mm. And I don't necessarily think that makes this a game where you have to grind. In fact, I, I feel like I've never really had to grind so far in this game. But to to what Ken has pointed out to me in the past, like the 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 tip you gave me about making sure I'm chasing the abilities I want to chase on the mm. the menus and all that it has made me just way more conscious of making sure I'm getting advantages where I can get advantages. I'm mm-hmm. using, I'm using items a lot more. Uh, I actually find that I'm, if Riku, especially if Riku's on thief, I will try and steal more often so I can mm-hmm. get good items that I can use later. Yeah. Uh, even just potions and stuff like that. So that way I'm not having to use MP uh, outside of battles. And, and now that I've got White Mage, it's a little bit easier. But even you know something that we haven't mentioned yet that's different in this game is uh, status abilities persist outside mm-hmm. of battle. So some, you can, some of them do. They don't know. Right. But you can get poisoned, especially yeah. in this area and in Kilika as well. You can get poisoned and still have it ticking, just like you know Pokemon and stuff like that outside mm-hmm. of battle, uh, which you did not have in Final Fantasy X. And is a huge surprise because there's not really a great indicator that that is happening as you're walking around. And another one I, I immediately think of is that in Final Fantasy X, if someone dies in combat and then uh, you leave combat, you know, you win or whatever. So say like Titus and Orin die, but Waka finishes the fight uh, and, and you go back out into the overworld. 
you will have uh, both of them, Titus and Orin, will be at one HP mm. in the menu. So you can use potions, magic, whatever, to heal them back up, usually at a lower cost than what a Phoenix down or use of life might cost. But in 10-2, when somebody dies, they are down. They are out. You have to use a Phoenix down. <laughs> uh, that was a huge surprise to me <laughs> the first time I noticed that. Uh, it just feels like a game that demands a little bit more of the player. Um, not necessarily in like a this is harder way, but just a you need to be paying attention way. Right. Uh, and I kind of like that. I'm kind of into that, especially as a sequel to a game. You know, if the idea is here that you are coming into this with now at least familiar familiarity with at least one RPG, uh, and so you are someone who is aware of RPG type systems and what you should be on the lookout for, it's going to ask you to be paying attention to that stuff a little bit more. And I kind of like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't start from square one like most other RPGs have to. Anyways. We get the sphere. We get the half of a sphere, it turns out, as it's damaged. Uh, so it's not really anything. And our trip here ends up being kind of not a waste, but, you know, we don't really get much out of it in the end. But we do get the reflection on what Xanarkand mm. has become. And, yeah, yeah, it's a sad note to leave Xanarkand on for the time being, that, that we're just going to kind of move on now. And... That is the nature of of ten two. Mm -hmm. We'll see how this stuff pans out as the game goes on. But uh, we gotta head out to Kilika because now we've heard there's an awesome sphere. Awesome sphere. I love the name of this sphere. <laughs> <laughs> like they just don't even hide it. They're just like, yo, I heard there's an awesome sphere here, and everyone's like, an awesome sphere. We gotta go get it. I've heard they're awesome. <laughs> awesome <laughs> becomes a proper noun. Awesome sphere. Yeah, it's so good. It's so like fun, and the the point where you you touch down and you're walking into town, and Yuna and Riku are like giddy over what the awesome mm. sphere might be is another great moment in this game of just really emphasizing that feeling of it, Yuna is rarely like this in ten, mm. and here she and Riku are just kind of free to like get excited about right. a sphere that they can chase again. <laughs> there are things think, to be excited about. Yeah. I, I, you know, and, and Hana, you might have feelings on this too, but like just the lack of sin is so freeing in this game because in 10, especially early on, it was like this constant looming dread over sins going to attack. You know, the last time we came to Kilika in Final Fantasy 10, we arrived in the wake of sin, knowing that sin was going to attack Kilika and then showing up and seeing all the death and destruction that followed after. And now we're coming to Kilika and we're excited to hunt down an awesome sphere. And nobody is worried about Kilika getting destroyed again or anything like that because sin's dead. It's such like a, just like oh, a collective a good... weight off of everyone's shoulders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's freeing. Everyone gets to like be a little bit more of themselves and not be so like worried all the time. God, it's such a this game. This game, it's a good game. <laughs> um, who could have seen this? Who, who could have guessed that this would happen? Uh, 
Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's some stuff here that you can kind of do out of order. I actually checked in and did some of this stuff before uh, I did the hotspot stuff. Uh, so there is some Donna and Bartello stuff, mainly that they're not getting along well and Donna kicks him out. <laughs> um, and she, we, we go in and we talk to Donna and she's like, yeah, I'm with the youth league and Bartello's with new Yevon. So we can't really like get along together. It's hard to stay at the same place as somebody else. Um, and Payne says, Payne's kind of like, oh, each their own, you know? And Donna's like, yeah, but butt out. <laughs> it's mm. my shit. Um, I, I, I just want to point out the, like they're addressing, you know, we had this with Waka and Lulu already, but they're both like confirming that Donna and Bartello are an actual item, but also that they've been, you know, shacking up for a while and now they're having problems and Donna has like kicked him out and all that. It's a fun thing to see in an RPG. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like you, you get so used to world ending disaster and here right. you've just got like couple drama. That's very fun and good. Right. Uh, it's a good time over a disagreement about politics. Yeah, yeah, which to be fair, Bartello, you, you giant, giant himbo of a man, what are you doing? You great oaf. <laughs> yeah, you lovable you, doofus. You giant buffoon. He is lovable, though. I do like Bartello a lot. Mm. He he grew on me over the course of 10. Uh, we'll see how that pans out in 10 too. but uh, he means well. He does mean well. But why, why, why are you going to New Yemen, my dude? Like, come on. I think... There might be a reason for some of the old fogies of Spira to stay with New Yevon, but I cannot understand why a summoner or a guardian would ever side themselves with New Yevon. Ever. No. Ever, ever, ever. Like, what are you doing? Ugh. Anyways. <laughs> we we hear about the awesome sphere, and we head in towards the, the giant gate that has been erected. Uh, and... I'm assuming we're going to learn more about this as we get further in, like why Kilika is structured the way it is with this gate and this almost like military occupation that's going on here. Um, oh, well, we, Ken. I, I think it's just like to keep like civilians away from the forest where, where, there are where there's still fiends and yeah. stuff. Yeah, okay. That's, that's fair. I mean, Hey, it's, it's a far cry from, the Kilika Final Fantasy X, mm-hmm. where they were just like, hey, just, you know, don't go too close to the woods. We we live out here on the water where it's safe. Don't go near the woods. That's where fiends are. Like, that's, you know, now they have a wall. Now they can build a wall and have it stand for some time. So uh, we, we head in and we see a bunch of people, a bunch of sphere hunters all lined up. You know, everybody's going to compete for it, going to run for it. And then we see some Youth League members... And we see Nuge. Mm. Nuge. Now we, Not only... <laughs> you, just, you sound so unhappy. To see no. No, it's, no, that was like intimidating. Like this mm. is Nuge. Uh, <laughs> uh, he... What a design for a character, I gotta say. Really leaves an impression. Mm. Uh I, I love the kind of like mechanicalness of, of him. Mm. Uh, you know, he's the, the thing I keep thinking about and keep remarking as I play this game is that they have a bunch of bond boys. We talked mm-hmm. about this last mm-hmm. time is that they just have 
these dudes that show up for each faction that are all kind of both vying for, you know, they're the leaders, but they're also kind of like, you know, vying for the attention of YRP as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's very fun and I like it. Uh, and Nuge definitely is one of like the visual standouts of this. Uh, I love the mechanical leg he's got and, and the cane and stuff. It's just Mm -hmm. a look. He's got a cool look. Um, it's like storytelling through character design as well. Yeah, like something's yeah. happened to him, and that is going to like part, be part of his story. When, when also, I saw when I saw the new Yevon guy, I was like, "Oh, this dude sucks. I hate him." <laughs> <laughs> but but when I saw Nuge, I was like, "I want to learn more about this guy." <laughs> yeah, and he's also just like charismatic and like in a, like he's a radical in terms of like, mm-hmm. what he wants, and because like the, the sort of framing of Youth League and New Yevon is that New Yevon is you know kind of by the books in whatever way you still can be after learning that your entire religion is a sham mm-hmm. and the youth league is like willing to fight through them to like learn that the history of Spira in ways that they are trying to hide mm-hmm. in a way that like I think the game like you know that that conflict is like core to tend to but I think like ultimately through design decisions and also just like the plot the game kind of takes a side and we'll get into that definitely more uh, in the next episode when we do something with the awesome sphere but uh just like that that was an interesting way to like already start framing like the future of spirit is still being decided upon by mm-hmm. people you know like you know there are these leaders but like those do speak to like really like uh kind of you know well filled out philosophies of like how people are trying to move on in the future mm-hmm. hana how do you feel about nuge um at He's, yeah, he's charismatic. He's mm. different from all the other characters we've seen so far, which I think is interesting. Um, and yeah, he's like, like Ken said, like it's it's kind of, you can see who he is like the second you see him, like mm-hmm. the way he's designed and the way that he acts and stuff like that. Like he's he's clearly different than like the other people that we've met so far, even just in 10-2. Um, and like he's got, different things to say which i think is interesting yeah. like it's cool that they're willing to introduce different perspectives even if the game does yeah like you said kind of end up taking a side mm-hmm. and he also mm-hmm. like even between like him gipple and barrelite he's the only one we really get to ever see be a leader and like really get yeah. a sense of like not only like how he leads but why he leads because mm-hmm. like i i think that's you know and again like not to get too ahead of ourselves like gipple and Barrelite in this game tend to operate as these islands, like you know they were, they represent a certain ideology, but they don't necessarily you don't necessarily get to see that in action a lot of the time. Mm. In the same way you do Nuge. Yeah, and and I mean his introduction with, with the other leaders, you know, we had Gibble as the machine guy, right? Mm. Um, he he just kind of like shows up and is like weird and and cocky and too overly familiar and stuff. We get a sense for his personality, but like you said, like the way Nuge shows up and gives that speech and starts like mocking new Yevon. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, you know, these, these guys aren't as young as they used to be and stuff yep. like that. And is like really rallying a crowd and all that and is making a call that like this awesome sphere must, must be relinquished by new Yevon and given to the youth league. You know, mm-hmm. we're the ones that should have it and stuff like that. It's like, he's a leader. Right. Yeah. Like this needs to come to the people and not like mm-hmm. this, I mean, borderline faceless entity that is New Heaven, because, like, that mm-hmm. is, it's more of, like, one of those things, of, like, the more things change, the more things uh, seem the same, just because New Heaven 
is still broadly, at least yeah. in like the way that it interacts with the people, this you know this faceless thing that is like feels insurmountable at sometimes, and people you know they follow it for their own reasons, and I think that is something that you know I, w- I wish the game had maybe gone into a little bit more, and you know and it will like as we keep going, uh, just mm-hmm. like why somebody follows New Yevon after everything that's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so things escalate let's say and we kind of end up between you know two parties the youth league is trying to storm Killika temple where new yevon has taken up their defense of the awesome sphere uh and we're kind of running around and, and again you know we talk about using things that final fantasy 10 had in interesting ways we really get to use some of the shortcuts and mm-hmm. our knowledge our standing knowledge of this this forest area that we probably spent some time wandering around in in Final Fantasy 10 to now we have to kind of navigate around these guards and and blockers that are put up uh to get to the temple and there's even a a fun part where we can listen in on the guards talking and they're loudly describing their uh code for recognizing each other uh, for, you know the passwords at each of the checkpoints. So if the number of guards at the checkpoint is odd, they say carved monkey. But then if they're even, you say craven monkey. And they do a fun thing here where you you're running up the steps and you keep getting stopped uh, one by one, and you kind of have to count the guards. But the camera will switch viewpoints mm-hmm. constantly, and and or like someone will be hiding just off screen and you have to notice that's how many there are. Like it's, it's a right. fun. Or like the, the one that always stuck out to me is the, the guy like walks up and to the, uh-huh. to the group and says, say it again. And you know, there's another person there. So like it changes what he has to say. Yeah. So you think it might have changed passwords, but you're supposed to stay on the same one because someone else was with him. And yeah, it's, it's a fun little, like thing that they do that's just i don't know rewards you for exploring rewards you for paying attention and just adds a little bit more beyond like here's some more combat you know you get a good i think it's a garment grid out of this if you answer all of the passwords correctly but really it's just it's it's engaging to do all this i mean we still end up fighting and down comes another reused final fantasy 10 boss Mm. uh the big old punching robot (laughs) and uh yeah i mean it was the punching robot again Mm -hmm. at this point i I really do think i over leveled by like just running across Mm -hmm. the thunder plains and the uh uh the me and high road and stuff because i was like man i'm really wiping the floor with these dudes there's like a, a very specific boss fight in chapter two that is kind of like known as the difficulty spike Mm-hmm. And um, you'll know when you get to it. I'll tell you that. I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm looking forward to that. Because right now I feel like it's a really interesting battle system that I'm just not really having reason to engage with as much as I probably could or should mm-hmm. be. Uh, and so I'm looking for it to, to push me a little bit. And I think it'll, it'll definitely also, like, once you get more dress spheres that operate kind of, like, in the margins of, like, you know, the more standard ones. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're finding ways to, like, make your party interact with each other in different ways through that in ways that are kind of, like, unorthodox how the game i think is presenting itself to you initially like you know when you're able mm-hmm. to like more riff on these ideas uh, i think just all, all of it all together just becomes more interesting and more dynamic i am uh i started working on pain's gun mage uh mm-hmm. i i have pain on the 
like two dress sphere garment grid yep. with warrior and gun mage. So I can also, I still haven't used the special dress sphere though. I yeah. see that you did for this. Yeah, fight. I actually did. Yeah. Because it was just, you know, an opportunity to do it. And cause I think I had her on that same garment grid at the time. Cause I, I switched mm-hmm. over to the gun mage to scan the boss to like see how much HP I had. And so I was like, I'll just take this time to use her special dress sphere. And you know, like there's some cool things about it. Like it has like an original, like magic, magical girl sequence to like, uh, change into it. And it, removes the rest of the party so like you are just like a kind of like a solo rpg for a second and the party is taken up by the character and then they have like these two different like like for pain it has like these, these mech arms that she has when she switches into hers and they'll have like different varying abilities that aren't they're not even like named in any way that is similar to how most abilities are in the game it's like you have to like really pay attention to what they actually do mm. um the catches that you can't use items so like there's no means of reviving like the mm. mecha- the arms and uh if the character that you're using is actually beaten because like they have their own individual uh hp if the character is beaten the entire thing shuts down um mm. so you know it's, it's an inter- like, I, like i said last time it's like it's an interesting sort of novelty but it's just not really ever been something that i went to as like a go-to strategy in this game are you a fan of the special dress for your Aesthetically, yeah. Like I, I love mm. the magical girl <laughs> transformation sequences. Any of them really, but like the the ones for the special ones, like yeah, you know, they put some extra work into it. Um yeah. and like they look cool, but yeah, like gameplay wise it's it's kind of not better than having like the three right. individual characters. It's fun, mm. like if you want to do it thematically for a character, like in your own right. head or something. For but sure. yeah, it it's not it's not like a an essential part of the game or anything in my opinion yeah definitely like aesthetically i, I think it it i mean not to say that like you know the, the standard dress fears they have like you know the gunner thief and warrior kind of like embody those characters as well but i feel like aesthetically they also very much embody who those characters are in that world because like yuna's um the floral ball is kind of like it, she's got like the headset of like a singer like, a, like a, you know a, an idol yeah and you know that captures mm-hmm. her in her space in that world now. And it's like their final forms for 10 yeah. specifically. Yeah. For sure. Well, we beat up a robot. We swoop in. We Donna is here. Donna is apparently just doing youth league stuff now, as we learned earlier. And so Donna is here like, Oh, I got the sphere. Nina's like, Nope. And strikes a <laughs> sick pose. Like I love that they just like strike a pose, and they're like, "We're the Gull Wings, and we're taking the sphere." Bye. <laughs> Do you think they rehearsed that? <laughs> and the Celsius that, shows like, up the and bounce. What's up? Do you think they rehearsed that on the ship? Like they like get into oh, the positions. They have like duct tape oh, on the sure. floor. I mean, yeah. they they did it in Luca as well, so they have to have like practiced it at some point. They're like, okay, let's do our. I'm picturing like Riku coming up with the idea and you know getting really excited about it, and then Pain like begrudgingly mm-hmm. helping out, but then like getting into it. You know, that's yeah, yeah. It's this is a fun group. This is a fun party. I like this party a lot. And I like on a closing note, I think one of the strongest parts of the game so far for me is that knowing i've got the full party right from the get-go uh i've always kind of had this feeling about rpgs that we talked about in fall fantasy 10 that it's really hard to introduce party members over time because Mm -hmm. you will eventually have characters that show up maybe like halfway through the game you know your rikus or 
uh what's her face from persona 5 yeah, that, that was exactly like haru that was like exactly yeah the Har- yeah <laughs> the, the, the character the that your, no your... one says is their favorite yeah. <laughs> um apologies to all the haru apologists <laughs> out there but uh it, it is the hardest thing to do is introduce a character that late and make you really care about it. I mean, even when you look at another game we talked about in this podcast, uh, yeah, cause like a dragon, they kind of set your party early. And then most of the party members you get later are already established characters in the story. They're just now playable on your side. Uh, and I think that's, I, I, I like that we have an RPG here where you just have the party from the outset. I think mm-hmm. golden sun did something similar as well, where you get your, your full party very early on and it gives you all like so much time to just see how these characters hang out around each other, uh, how they go through adventures together and they feel like a more unified party from the outset than kind of a mishmash of people come together. It doesn't mean you like miss out on maybe some of the, tensions let's say that you might have in something like you know tales of arise where you you have these kind of different cultures coming together into one party and have to deal with their their differences and setting them aside and all that and you don't get as much of that arc here mm. um but you do also just have this group that is just infectiously fun to be around mm. so uh yeah, I, I guess that's my way of saying I ended last week's episode on a bit of a pe- like pessimistic note. Like I, I was like, oh, you know, it's it's going okay. I've got some concerns, but I think maybe that's just due to the nature of the game when you're trying to play it for completion percentage. Is that like the hot spots are where this game really really shines, mm-hmm. and I like the things they did in Chapter One's hot spots a lot. So, how did you feel about it, Ken? Oh, I love this game. It's perfect. It's the best fucking Final <laughs> Fantasy game in the world. So, you know, same as I always have. Mm-hmm. Strong, strong opening chapter in your opinion, Hana? Yeah, I mean, just like the prologue through chapter one, I think is one of the strongest points of the game, and like I think it sets up like where they're taking Spira and stuff like that really well, and I think it sets up like um, the main characters' kind of reactions to how the story is going to go on i think it sets up like who they are after this two mm-hmm. years really well mm. i think kind of broadly like the first chapter is like really good at like tone establishing and also like establishing if you're not buying into this at this point you're probably not mm. going to buy into what's coming yeah it's very much like this is the game and if you don't like it like don't play it more because it's just going to be more of this <laughs> yeah it's it's cool as it's been an interesting game to pick apart and will continue to be an interesting game that we pick apart. But before that, as always, we are Normandy FM, a retrospective podcast that's covered many, many games at this point now. I mean, God, Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Jade Empire, Last of Us. And now we are on to Final Fantasy X and Ten Two, and eventually one day on to Cyberpunk 2077 as we have... <laughs> Now announced, I think we like talked about whether we were going to actually say this, but we have announced it on Twitter as of the recording of this podcast. So yeah, Cyberpunk 2077 is going to be next. Taking a hard swing in the opposite direction. Woo! (laughs) Ken said, we have not challenged ourselves in a while. (laughs) Let's really challenge ourselves. Uh, 
Ken turns out is secretly an open world sicko. That's Ugh. that's what's going on. See, Ken replayed Ten Two and then found something awaken and and he has to sate the beast now <laughs> with our next season. <laughs> Uh, as always, you can support us by heading over to patreon.com slash normdfm. Any level of backing gets you into our backers discord where you can hang out and chat with us. Uh, we, we share memes. It's, it's been lively in there recently. I've been really enjoying it. People are kind of sharing stuff about their personal 10 playthroughs, which is cool. And even getting a little bit excited about moving into the cyberpunk season. So, uh, you can go hang out there and hang out with folks there. Also, Ken and I have recently learned that reviews are, are a good thing on podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah so, we went like almost four years at this point without ever asking for reviews, but apparently those are good. Those are like a thing that people do. Like if you, yeah, so like on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to us, give us a five-star rating because we deserve it. <laughs> damn, damn, Ken. I was just going to ask for a review. You're going to give us only good reviews. Only give me five stars or I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> uh once again, you know, we've said it before uh, talking about this podcast, but like Ken and I both have day jobs. We both have other stuff we do. This is not by any means our primary source of income or anything like that. But the more uh, the more that people listen to this, it, you know, the more that we can share it with with other people. And we're mostly just interested in the idea of, you know, having more folks hear about us because that also helps us get cool guests on the show. We can turn around and be like, hey, look at how many cool guests we got on the show. That's that's always good. So uh yeah, if you want to help us out with that a little bit, you know, feel free to leave a rating, only a five-star rating on the podcatcher platform of your choice. Uh, and also on Patreon, those who back at the higher levels uh, can get the episodes early as soon as Ken is done editing them. And also, if you back at the highest level, you get your name shouted out every week on the podcast here. And this episode, that list is just... Mercedes Cluis, Meredith, Micah Mante, and Shane Erickson. Thank you all so much for contributing, helping us out. And thank you to you, Hana, for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you on and chatting about Final Fantasy Tensu. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's my favorite game, I think, ever. Um, so I'm very happy to come talk about the taste. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you have things that you would like to plug, please feel free to plug them now. Um, I guess you can just follow me on Twitter. It's at underscore Hana two three. Uh, that's about it. I just kind of yell about games there. I write about things sometimes. They show up sometimes on different websites. They'll all be on that Twitter though. So I mean, just do that. Yeah. That's One the freelancer shot. life. Yeah. That's every time you you go on podcasts and stuff. And, and you don't have like the one place that you write at. You're just kind of like putting words up. You're just like, I, did, I don't know. Go follow my Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> it's where I live. I have a podcast <laughs> about comic books. Uh, it's why comics. Um, there we, we go. just talk about like comics that mean a lot to us. Um, like we, me and my co-host Jesse, we just kind of trade arcs every couple of weeks, read the book mm. and talk about it. Um, we have guests on sometimes to talk about comics that meant a lot to them. So that's like the other thing I really do. Have you ever talked about the comic Die or The Wicked and the Divine? Uh, the Wicked and the Divine comics, was actually but... my first, uh, before I was the co-host, it was actually my first episode on the podcast. Uh, it's literally yeah. one of my favorite books of all time. But I don't think uh, we've had anyone talk about Die yet. And that's another oh, one of Dye's my favorite ones of all time. I just picked up the uh, the last trade. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a comic person myself. I have trouble getting into them. But uh, 
I at one point just got an issue of Die and was like, I'll check this out. And I got immediately hooked and then also then went on to read Wicked and the Divine. So Yeah, yeah. Karen Gillan's check that uh, out. Master Writer. Oh, it's so good. So good. Such a good setup. Oh my god. Just thinking about it now. So go listen to that pod. Go follow Hana's stuff. And as always, keep it here. We will be back next week for another fun-filled Crucially. guest. Crucially, we will not be here next week. We, this is a Bible show. We yes, say, sorry. We say I, last week. I fall a lot into of, that all the time. We, I mean, we, well, we did it for like two and a half years. We were a weekly podcast. Yes. And now we're not. Yeah. So it's, it's a long, like they say you have to do something different about half as long as you did the thing that you're trying to unlearn before you can mm, unlearn So it'll take it. a year. It'll yeah. take a year. By the time uh, that we finish Cyberpunk, we'll be like well and on the bi-weekly <laughs> schedule yeah. and in our brains in the way we speak about the show. Well, and we're also the way, you know, if you all want to know how the sausage is getting made, uh, we're also recording these well ahead of when they're releasing. So it probably, I mean, for us, it's not even going to be a week. It's going to be like a day. <laughs> yeah, we're so, recording the, the episode that comes after this that y'all are going to hear was recorded a day after this one. So. <laughs> but that, you know, we're, we're playing ahead of the ball a little bit. Uh, somebody told me that there might be video games in February. So... <laughs> uh until then until you hear this next episode that will not release the next day but will eventually come out for hana for ken for myself thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time on normandy fm